This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I'm going to start a new series or a little mini-series in, uh, for the month of May, and uh, I'm calling it the minefield, M-I-N-D field. I want to talk a little bit about, we hear a lot about mental health. I want to talk some about that during this series and talk about some of the things that we deal with. Some of the biggest battles you'll ever deal with as a believer are in your mind. And so I'm going to do something a little different this morning, and I'd like to enlist your help. Will you help me? Some of you are thinking, I am not going to preach your sermon for you. That's exactly right. You're not going to preach the sermon for me. I, I, I don't know if you realize it, but, but actually you can make a big difference in terms of how the message comes out. If you come in and, and kind of sit down and plop down and go, okay, pastor, what you got? I'm so glad that you're here. First, let me just tell you, I'm glad you're here. I preached a lot of empty seats last year, and it is good to see your old faces. It really is. It is wonderful. But if you park down and wait for me to come up with something amazing, you got it in neutral, and you're not helping me. Here's the best way, and actually, this is the best way to get something out of church, period. Before you even show up, you ought to tell the Lord as you're driving into the parking lot, Father, I want to thank you. I'll receive something from you today that's good. And if you come in with expectancy, it actually creates an environment that it's just so much easier to speak in. And so you can actually help me with this message. So will you help me? Good. Because I believe God's got something good for you. And, uh, you know, we're preaching out of the Bible. We're not, we're not preaching out of Time Magazine. It's the Bible. It, it's good. This will help you. And uh, there's some great things. So we're going to talk about, we're gonna talk about the, the mind. Change your thoughts. Change your life. And this morning, I want to talk about what I call roadblock thoughts, thoughts that will block us from God's best in, in our life. And listen, all of us have it. But if you think about it, we as individuals are very complex creatures. God made us very unique. We're, we're eternal spirits. We have souls. We live in a body. We're eternal spirit. When you leave this earth, those of us believers in Christ, the Bible said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we're going to be with him. And you're going to look good when you get to heaven. You are not going to be the age that you are now. Well, if you're, unless you're in your 20s. You're going, how many of you know when you get to heaven, you're going to be real surprised when you see grandma? Because grandma is not going to be 85. Grandma is going to be probably looking like in their 20s and, and 30s. You'll be like, whoa, grandma, you look good. She's like, you look good too. Eternal spirits. We have souls. That's our mind, our will, and emotions. They're very connected. And then we live in a body. That's pretty easy to determine. In fact, that when the Bible says that anyone is in Christ, he is the new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Well, the old things that passed away were certainly not our bodies. If you were redheaded when, before you gave your life to Jesus, after you give your life to Jesus, you still got red hair. That doesn't change. Joy was very disappointed, she said. When she woke up the morning after making Jesus her Lord, she still had complexion problems. She thought it was all going to pass away. And, uh, and so it, it's, it, new creation is on the inside. But we have to do something with our minds and our bodies. In other words, we have responsibility there. And this is where, if you don't understand this, what can happen is you can have a relationship with the Lord, you can have an experience, you can come to him, and then you're wondering, why do I have some of the same problems that I did before I was a believer? And if you're not aware of what's going on, it, it can throw you. And the enemy will tell you, uh, you didn't get anything. 
you never really were a believer. He lies to a lot of people. He's a liar. So you have to have truth to counteract the lies. So here's a great passage here. This is in Romans. It says, I urge you, this is Paul writing to believers, the church. He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he's writing to people who have been new creations in Christ. He says, but you got to do something with your body and you have to do something with your mind. In other words, he said, your body has to be a living sacrifice. If that doesn't sound exciting, but it means we're always telling our bodies, no, no, you can't do this. If you've ever gone on a diet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have told your body no. Because how many of you know as soon as you go on a diet, your body will start talking to you? There are Oreos in the pantry. And the milk is cold. Mmm. And you want them. And you're thinking, boy, if you agree with your body, you'll blow that diet right out of the window, man. You'll have a whole package eaten before you know what's going on. So you tell your body no. And when you tell your body no, does your body go, oh, okay, we're good. No, your body kicks and screams. And so that's why it's a living sacrifice. You have to kick it and scream to the altar. But when Paul was talking here, he actually wasn't talking about dieting. He was talking about purity. Boy, it gets quiet every time. And he basically was saying is, he said, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. We say no to things maybe we used to say yes to. I've always said, when I said yes to joy, I said no to every other woman. I should have gotten at least four or five amens from the, from the women. And it's a good concept. You, you wouldn't want the pastor, well, the pastor only has three mistresses. No, the pastor doesn't. The pastor doesn't have any mistresses. Yes to joy, no to everybody else. And so... And when you're married, that's the way it's supposed to work, as a living sacrifice. That's the body. We won't talk about that. We're talking about the mind. Sometimes to put your mind on a diet is challenging also. So in other words, our thinking, the Bible said, don't be conformed to this world. What's that mean? It said, well, don't be conformed to the selfishness, the negativism, the, the world without God. They think differently. And a lot of us were raised in an environment where that's just the way we grew up and, and the way we thought. And often how you were raised has impacted your thinking, whether you even realize it or not. My parents were both uh, products of the Depression. They remember growing up in the Depression in the 30s. My dad, it was actually he and his uh, sister and brother were put in an orphanage for a period of time because his mom, single mom, did not have the money to feed them adequately. He went hungry. And so... Hunger was something that's very real to him. And by the way, hunger is still something that's very real. I am so glad we have a church that cares about the hungry at Montgomery County, and we're going to continue to do something. So, but, but, so my dad grew up, and my mom grew up, and she didn't quite have enough to eat. So when we sat down to eat, eating your food was really, really important. And we would sit down as a family. My mother would make it, and we would sit down. Well, I didn't like everything she made. And... Uh, but my dad, I'd, I'd turn up my nose or something, and my dad would say this over and over. He said, son, this is not a cafeteria. Your mother made it. You're going to eat it. So I had to eat everything, including onions, which is why I hate onions today. If you invite me to your house and you have onions, I'm not going to eat them. 
I thought the Bible said eat everything set before you. It excludes onions. <laughs> Not eating. But I grew up with that thought. You better eat everything on your plate. You know, I still clean my plate. I still have to, I used to tell Joy, you're Italian. You put way too much food on my plate because I'll eat everything. So here's, we fast forward. We're sitting there around the, the dinner table and Matt, little Matt, he's about eight or nine years old, said, I don't want the coleslaw. I said, son, this is not a cafeteria. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Well, it came from the thoughts that I had grown up with. And after Matt promptly threw his coleslaw back up into his plate, I, I made an adjustment in my thinking. It was like, if you don't like it, <laughs> you don't have to eat it. But we've been raised in a way where oftentimes we don't even recognize the thoughts that we're dealing with. And some of these thoughts can be roadblock thoughts to God doing something really amazing in our lives. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to do it a little bit differently, but I want to read a story to you out of the New Testament. This is a fairly familiar story. It had happened on a certain day he was teaching us, Jesus. And there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who'd come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on the bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the mist before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he'd been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Interesting story. But let me give you what I call seven thoughts that could have roadblocked this miracle from ever taking place. Now, these are hypothetical, but these are thoughts that you're going to recognize. Maybe you have thought some of them yourself. And then we'll talk about thoughts that roadblock us. Here's the first one. What if this man, the man who was paralyzed, had this idea that says, I don't want or need anyone's help. I don't want anyone's help. They might have come to him and said, hey, Bubba, Jesus is in town. And, bro, we're going to take you over there. And Jesus can heal you. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to owe you guys anything. I could have stopped it. Sometimes people can do that. I, no, 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 I, mean, I can give, but I, I don't want to receive. I don't need anyone's help. I could have roadblocked it right there. Or what if they told him, hey, Jesus is in town. We're going to take you over to Jesus. And he had said, I don't know if Jesus can, can do anything with my situation. You see, oftentimes when you've been in a situation for a long time, you think it's always going to be that way. And he could have been paralyzed for a long time and thinking, well, I was born paralyzed. It's always going to be that way. Another thought that could have entered in was the idea that in the religious mind, if you had some kind of condition like paralysis, it was either you who sinned or your parents who sinned. And so it was very sin conscious. He could have felt very guilty and gone, no, no, Jesus can't fix my situation. No, there's no sense in going what would have happened? It would have roadblocked that miracle from taking place. 
What about the four guys? You think they had to deal with some thoughts? They're getting together going, hey, we're going to take Bubba, Jesus in town, we're going to take Bubba over. What if they said, you know what? I, I got some other things going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to water the backyard. It's, uh, well, not anymore, but uh, I've got to, I've got to do some different things around the house. I'm busy. I'm too busy to carry Bub. And, and by the way, he's kind of heavy. It's, it's not like this was going to be easy. You know, they didn't have stretchers, but they probably just grabbed like a, like a sheet or a, a, a cloth. Everyone grabbed a corner. You ever carry dead weight on the corner? Man, you're just like, you're haul, you don't know how far they had to haul Bubba across town. And they could have thought, bro, my back, I, mm can't do it. And if those four guys had agreed not to do it, it could have roadblocked that miracle from ever taking place. It took a group of them. And then when it got there, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this story. Mark and Luke give the most details. But they said there was such a crowd around the door, you couldn't even get in. And so they could have gotten there, and here they are, come dragging him up, and they set him down, and they're looking, they're like, how in the world are we going to get in? There's a crowd here. Man, we, let's, send, let's send Paul see if he can get through this crowd. He comes back and goes, man, no one's parting. No one's leaving. And so, man, they're sitting now there and they could have looked at, at Bubba and gone, well, it's no use. You know, if this really had been the plan of God, it would have been easy to get you there. It's no use. There's no way except that door and if they'd have said, no way, no use, then that miracle would have been roadblocked right there. But they found a way. I like that. It said Jesus saw their faith. Now, he saw their faith when they hauled Bubba up on the roof. And, you know, that, that, that couldn't have been easy. You're bringing him up there, and he's up on the roof. And then they look down, okay, we're going to have to break through the roof. Now, we think, oh, we read it like a Bible story. Oh, they broke through, the, they broke through somebody's roof. That was probably not, don't you know they're probably talking among themselves going, eh, I wonder if everyone's going to like this because we're about to disrupt a meeting. Jesus is talking and all of a sudden sheetrock dust starts falling down through there and, and Jesus looks up and, and they're kind of waving at Jesus and they're about to get a hole big enough to drop Bubba down through the hole, disrupting the hole. Listen, I have a hard time when babies scream, much less when the roof starts caving in. And so Jesus is speaking, didn't bother him at all. But there were Pharisees and religious leaders all over that place. And they were thinking, ooh, if we disrupt this meeting, we're going to make the wrong people mad. I wonder what they're thinking. These guys evidently were not thinking that because they broke through the roof and let Bubba down. And then when Jesus sees him, he looks at him and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And that could have derailed right there. Could have roadblocked. Because he could have looked at Jesus and said, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I, I, no, you can't forgive. My sins can't be forgiven. You don't know. But he didn't do that. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, evidently this man said, thank you. And then Jesus said, gave him the last thing. He said, rise and go back to your home. Now he could have said, I can't. I, my, my legs, I'm, I'm paralyzed. I can't. I need, you to, I need you to completely heal me so I can get up. But the body said, arise and go to your... And he said, immediately he stood up and began to go. 
you see where in this whole miracle that took place, there were some faults that could have roadblocked it right from the beginning and could have stopped it from ever taking place. They could have quit when they saw the crowd. They could have not carried him there. He could have not received. But every, in every place, he was able to overcome those thoughts. And he walks out of there glorifying God, and it amazed everybody around. Now, here's the thing. What are roadblock faults in your life, in my life? I'm going to give you seven. And you say, well, you seem to know these. Yeah, because I've had every one of them. And the idea is not that we stay with them. The idea is that we're able to overcome them. And I'll show you how to do that. You still with me? Okay. Number one, I don't want or need anyone to help me. Now, <laughs> I, I'm going to put a, a word on this. No one likes this word. This is pride. This is pride that says I don't want or need anybody to help me. No. I hear people say, I'm a great giver. I'm a horrible receiver. <laughs> we need to be both. And we need to understand that we, we need something. There's a, there's a counter to pride. And so when you start thinking, I don't need anyone to help me. I don't need help. Here's our answer for that. It's a scripture. James 4 says, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is not poor self-esteem. Humility is realizing I need help. I could use help. When we started the church years ago, first place we moved in, out of, we moved out of the Montessori Center, moved into the Conroe uh, Roller Rink, which was behind Conroe Golf Cart. When we moved in, had a small congregation. We didn't even have 200 people at that time. So we built, it was 18,000 square feet, and we built out a sanctuary inside of that, and we outgrew it. And we're starting to think, what in the world do we do now? Do we, do we just, do we go to multiple services? We really deliberate, what do we do? And uh, we were talking about this after church one day, and there was a lady who, who came at that time, and she, and she was a, how do I put this? She was a, she was a real bless your heart kind of, of person. Um, she was just, she had a very abrasive personality, and she was the kind that keeps pastors on their knees, praying. And uh, so we were talking, and she just said, we just need to, knock these sheetrock walls out and put some extra chairs in. And as soon as she said it, I thought, oh, that's God. But it's coming through her. <laughs> Man. And if we do that, I've got to hear her for the next year go, I told you, I told you, I told you. <laughs> so what do we do? We swallowed our pride and knocked the walls out and continued to grow. Because God's help often comes through sermons and time with God, but often comes through other people. And we need help. You still with me? <laughs> it gets better. Number two, my situation is unique beyond God's help. Can I tell you everyone's situation is unique? Because you're unique. But you don't ever want to put your situation in where you are such a special case that even God can't help you. You don't want to go there. You say, well, why not? Because if you begin to set up this thing in your mind that you're so unusual, the Bible said there's nothing that we're dealing with that's not common to man. And so we all deal with the same things. It may come in packaged differently, but we all deal with the same kind of stuff. So what's, a, what's an answer to that? Jesus looking upon them said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. 
One of the best things you could begin to do instead of looking at your situation going, I don't know, it's a special case. I don't know what you need. You need to begin to look at yourself and go, I want to thank you, God, that with you all things are possible. It is possible with you. It is possible for me to have a good family. It's possible for me to come through this. It's, it's, it's possible. Say, well, how is it? Don't get caught up in the how. Just buy into the it's possible. And that begins to open up even in our thinking for God to do some things. And it doesn't roadblock him because you just kind of, you don't want to sit down and go, well, it's it's just not going to happen. No, it's possible. With God, all things are possible. Here's number three. I am too busy to get involved with others. You know, this is is such a, a counter thought to how God's kingdom operates. God's kingdom operates very different from the world. The world system without God, they deal on, you take care of you, I'm going to take care of my situation. It's me and mine and no more. And God's whole kingdom works on unselfishness. It works on caring about other people. It works on loving other people. Look what the scripture says. Actually, go to, if you would go to that scripture, there you go. Thank you. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It didn't say take everyone's responsibility. You know, the, the man who was paralyzed could not walk to Jesus, so they carried him. If he could have walked to Jesus, they would have told him, we're not carrying you. But he had a burden he could not bear on his own. We have to make room in our hearts for people. A man named Mike was, was talking about his little eight-year-old daughter. They were sitting at the table, and uh, she had six green beans on her plate, and, and for some reason, it just irked Mike that she wasn't eating them. He said, Honey, eat your, eat your green beans. She says, I don't want to, I'm full. She said, go, he said, go ahead and eat them. It's only six. She said, I'm too full. He said, you won't pop. She said, I'll pop. I'm full. And uh, he had an idea. He knew they were having pumpkin squares for, uh, for dessert. He said, hey, how about a double helping of pumpkin squares with extra whipped cream on top? She pushed that plate away. She said, I'm ready. He said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You want a double helping of pumpkin squares with extra whipped cream and you can't eat six measly green beans? I don't understand. And she stood beside her chair real tall. She said, this is my vegetable stomach and this is my meat stomach and they are full. This is my dessert stomach and it is empty. Bring on dessert. We have lives that are full. We need to make sure we leave room for other people to be a blessing, and to reach out to others. You're not too busy. You want me to stop now? Okay, I'll keep going. Here we go. That was rhetorical, but I just thought I'd ask. Okay. There's no way. Well, that's a big one. There's no way. There's no way I can ever be happy again. There's no way I can ever have any kind of decent relationship. There's no way that I can ever just have the joy of the Lord. There's no way I can live as a good Christian. There's no way. There's no way I can pray. There's no way. How many times do those no way thoughts hit you? And we have to be able to have an answer for no way. Because if it's God's plan, there's always a way. Let me show you a great verse. This is what Jesus talked about. He said, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. About 25 years ago, when we got ready to start a church in Conroe, people told me you cannot have a good church in Conroe. They said Conroe is a preacher's graveyard. 
That's where preachers go to die. And you can't have a good church here. When we started the church, they, uh, we didn't have any live worship. I wasn't going to sing it. We had an AOR sound system. They said, you can't have a church without live worship. Well, you don't want one without live worship. But we went two years without live worship. So glad we've got it now. I never want to go back to that. But they kept saying, no way. There's no way that you can have uh, uh, your, your church move to the high school. Conroe High School let someone in years ago. They would never let anybody in again. There's no way. And they kept saying, there's no way. But if God's got a plan, there's always a way. And, and ways continue to open up. Here's what we can't do. We can't hit an obstacle and stop and go, well, there's just no way. We have to say, Lord, with you, there's always a way. If I'll seek, I will find. You can help me with this. And we begin. But do you see where that no way thinking could roadblock you? And if I'd have done that, we'd have never had a church in Conroe. And so we hit those things. We have to go, Father, I'm going to seek you. We're going to find a way. They told us we could never have a road that goes to the feeder. They told us we could never have a road that goes to Gladsdale. We got them. They're seek and you will find. Let's go to the next one. If I live with God, not everyone's going to like me. And I can't take that risk. Guys, we live in a cancel culture. And one of the biggest pressures that, that comes on people now is if I make a stand, if I live for God, I'm, I'm going to have some people that aren't going to like me or maybe they're going to think I'm, I'm, I'm goody two-shoes or whatever they're going to think. And I think we're going to have to reach the place in life where we believe that what other people think about us is not our biggest concern. Here's a great verse. This is a verse I really like. Paul's speaking, he said, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. He said, what you think of me, really, he said, is not the most important thing. And we have got to be able to get to the place where we will not let other people's judgment stop us from following God and living for him. Now, that's, that can be challenging. But how many of you know that people don't always judge correctly? Have you ever misjudged someone? You thought, you thought they were this way, and then you realized, oh, I, I, man, I completely missed it. I tell you, someone who just missed it completely, Joy. She saw me before I ever met her. She saw me walk past her sister's balcony. She was sitting on the balcony. She, walked, she watched me go by, and she said in her heart, I don't like him. <laughs> and she was wrong. <laughs> she misjudged that. And for 39 years, I still remind her of that. You missed it there. It's the only other place she's missed it. I'm wrong every other time. But, but the idea is that what people think of us should not be the prevailing force in our life. What God thinks of us should. I'd rather be embarrassed on earth than be embarrassed in heaven. Here's our next one. I have done too much wrong for God to love and forgive me. This is the biggie. I meet way too many people who feel like, Alan, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know my past life. You don't know what I've done. And you're right, I don't. But you, you cannot discount the power of God's love and his power to forgive. Let's look here in this, the verse. Here's our answer. But God demonstrates his own love toward us 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, I keep giving you scripture because here's the principle, is that we have these thoughts and they're all, they can all be roadblock thoughts. But instead of looking at them and going, you know what, I, I, I'm just stuck or I'm just there or God can never love me, this is where you begin to take the scriptures and begin to apply them into your thinking where you begin to say, Lord, I want to thank you. I don't know why you love me like you do, but it's because of your character. And even when I was a sinner, you still love me. And your forgiveness and your mercy endure forever. You know, for some reason, this is the one thought that, and I've had all of these, by the way. I've dealt with all of these roadblock thoughts. This is the one that I've had the easiest one time with because I believe in the power of forgiveness. And you know why? Because I grew up in a home where forgiveness was offered. If you grow up in a home where there's forgiveness, it's easier for you to learn to receive God's forgiveness. Here's my parenting tip of the day. Guys, listen. When your kids miss it, and they will, when they mess up, and they will, don't withdraw emotional support. Don't not talk to them for weeks. Look at them and say, I love you. I don't agree with what you've done, but I forgive you. Now, they may have to still earn your trust, but you can offer forgiveness. And then when it's time for them to receive forgiveness of God, it's going to be a lot easier for them to do it. God's love and forgiveness, we need to model that in our homes. I was so blessed I had it modeled. It's easy for me to receive God's forgiveness, and Lord knows I've needed a lot of it. And so it's been easy for me to, to jump into that. Here's the last one. I can't. Ooh, I can't. I can't. I just can't do it. I just can't make it. I can't. I just can't live any longer. Well, that's the worst one. You can. When I uh, started a church in my hometown in, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, it, it, it failed pretty dramatically. Well, it really wasn't dramatic. It was so small it wasn't dramatic, but it was dramatic to us. When I came back to Texas, I remember Joy would talk to me about starting a church. And for years, the roadblock thought in my life was, I can't start a church. I can take one over. I can assume one, and I look for one. I sent resumes all over Texas. I sent resumes, I sent resumes actually all over the country and got rebuffed every time. But I wasn't going to start a church because I can't. And that idea of I can't roadblocked me for a long time until one day my wife, my darling wife, called me. We were on the road, and I think I was whining about I can't, and I, I can't, and man, she jumped me, but good. She said, Alan, she said, you remind me of the kids sitting by the swimming pool watching everybody swim. She said, you won't get in the water. When will you trust God and get in the water? And I thought, I'm paying for this. It was, it was a cell phone call back in, the, back in the 90s. They cost a lot of money back then. I'm like, I am getting chewed out broyally, and, and she's right. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I had to change that thought or we'd have never had the ark. It would have roadblock. You say, well, it was the will of God. Yeah, but I have to be able to prove that good and perfect acceptable will of God by simply willing to say, God, if you want to start a church here and you want to start it through a guy who has failed in the past, then I believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does that work for preachers? Yes. Does it work for everybody else? Yes. It didn't say I can do all things if I'm a preacher. It says I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. You see where these thoughts could be roadblocks in our life? You see where they can slow us down? Now, you may be thinking, I'm, I've, I'm great on all those. If you are, wonderful. But what thoughts are roadblocking you from God's best? So I want you to stay with us during this series as we're going to talk about the minefield, learning to win this battle of the mind. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And please, no one leaving will be out of here in just a second. But if, if you're here or you're watching online and you're think, thinking to yourself, you know, I don't know that I've ever made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, but I, I want to. Or maybe you're thinking, I, I, I had done that years ago or some time ago and I've fallen away from God. And I want to come back. We're going to say a very simple prayer. I'm not going to have you stand up or come to the front. If you're online, you can pray. If you're by yourself, you can pray this out loud with us. If you're with others, you can pray quietly. But if you're here and you say, you know what? Alan, I, uh, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. I, I, I know I need God in my life, or I know I need him back in my life. Would you pray for me? I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Would you slip your hand up real quickly across this auditorium and say that's me that you're talking to. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. I realize it takes courage to do that and a level of humility. Anybody else? Say that's me. Alan, would you pray? Thank you. Great. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you really wanted to lift your hand, but for some reason you didn't, and you thought, ah, I missed it. You haven't missed it yet. God sees hands, but he sees hearts. And this, we're going to pray this prayer to, together as a church family. You pray it with us. You're online. If you're, like I said, you pray it with us. And uh, this is a powerful prayer. So simple, but so powerful. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I, know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now with head still bowed, just for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer who came out of darkness into light and for those who come home. We rejoice with them. And Father, for all of us, thank you that your word and your spirit make such a difference in our life and they enlighten our thinking and the roadblocks that have stopped us in the past do not have to stop us as we move forward. Thank you for your help in this area. Thank you that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.